We're going to be reading God's Word then this morning, congregation, from Matthew chapter 22. Matthew 20, 22, verses 1 through 14. God's Word here in this uh, passage, which is a parable of our Savior that we'll be considering, as it is a fitting also for our uh, service of communion to follow. Listening here now to the Word of God, it's in the inerrant inspired Word of our gracious and living Lord. And again, Jesus spoke to them in parables, saying, The kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who gave a wedding feast for his son and sent his servants to call those who were invited to the wedding feast. But they would not come. Again, he sent other servants, saying, Tell those who are invited, See, I have prepared my dinner. My oxen and my fat calves have been slaughtered, and everything is ready. Come to the wedding feast. But they paid no attention, and went off one to his farm, another to his business, while the rest seized his servants, treated them shamefully, and killed them. The king was angry, and he sent his troops and destroyed those murderers and burned their city. Then he said to his servants, The wedding feast is ready, but those invited were not worthy. Go therefore to the main roads and invite to the wedding feast as many as you find. And those servants went out into the roads and gathered all whom they found, both bad and good. So the wedding hall was filled with guests. But when the king came in to look at the guests, he saw there a man who had no wedding garment. And he said to him, Friend, how did you get in here without a wedding garment? And he was speechless. Then the king said to the attendants, Bind him hand and foot and cast him into the outer darkness. In that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. For many are called, but few are chosen. Thus far the reading of God's holy word may add his blessing to that word as we reflect upon it. And the entire passage, this parable, will be then the basis or the text for God's word as it is proclaimed here this morning. And dear people of God, one of the special events in people's lives, as you know, are wedding, wedding feasts. Indeed, because they're so special, they require a great deal of preparation. And part of that preparation is that the couple who who will enter marriage must draw up a list of guests whom they wish to invite to their wedding celebration and send out these invitations prior to the event. You probably all have received such an invitation at one time or other, or perhaps maybe quite a few times. Whether it comes by way of a special envelope that is sent to you to which you must respond or by way of an email nowadays that you get a message on the internet and you're asked to respond in that way whether you are able and willing to come. In any case, you are then officially invited to the wedding celebration. And your acceptance of that invitation is deemed, no doubt, by the couple an honor by those who have invited you. Now this morning, we want to look at a special wedding invitation, because it was indeed a wedding invitation, but it was an unusual wedding invitation, a special wedding invitation, because it was issued not by a normal person, but by a king, and he was not a normal king at that. But as you will see, this was an invitation issued by the king of heaven, by the Lord of the universe himself. And it was an invitation that he did not have to extend 
but he did so graciously. In fact, he wanted our presence at the feast of his son. And that provides the three main points that I want to make this morning in connection with this invitation. As we look at the invitation itself, extended by the king, and then the grace that it manifested, and then thirdly also the garment that it required. So first, let's look a moment at the invitation. This story, as I indicated, which we just read in Matthew 22, is one of the parables of Jesus, entitled The Parable of the Wedding Feast. Jesus starts off in Matthew 22, verse 2, by saying the kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who gave a wedding feast for his son. Now, who is that king? I've already indicated it, actually, but as we proceed in the parable, it becomes clear that this is a reference, really, to God the Father. And who is the son for whom we wanted to put on this wedding feast? Well, clearly, this is a reference in the parable to Christ himself, to the one who is speaking this parable. He is the royal son of the king of heaven, our father. And what is the wedding feast? Jesus says that represents the kingdom of heaven. And you know the fact that the kingdom of heaven is compared here to a wedding feast tells us right away that this is a wonderful and joyful and specially privileged event to be invited to. Weddings, you know, are always happy occasions. They're a time of celebration and of feasting. And why is that? Because the bridegroom and the bride are being united there as husband and wife. They are being joined together in this special bond or covenant relationship. And so in the case of Christ and his kingdom, what the wedding feast celebrates is that Jesus is the bridegroom and he is being united to his bride And who is that bride? It is the church, of course, the church of Christ, the people of God. We read in Ephesians 5 that the bride is the body of Christ, whom he has purchased with his own precious blood. And that's always a reason then for celebration, for special rejoicing. Because those who come to belong to Christ and his kingdom, they're come to experience in unity with Christ the king's son, all the blessings of salvation. When we enter the kingdom of heaven, we come to live in the presence of the king that we might enjoy all of his gracious blessings. That's why it's such a tremendous privilege to receive an invitation to be invited to the wedding of God's son. In Revelation chapter 19 The Apostle John had a vision that he recorded in which he heard the multitude of the redeemed in heaven singing, Hallelujah, for the Lord our God, the Almighty reigns. Let us rejoice and be glad and give the glory to him, for the marriage of the Lamb has come and the bride has made herself ready. It's talking about the ultimate feast of celebration, which in effect has already begun. When we are his redeemed people here on earth, we are already then the bride of the bridegroom, the Son of God. And then an angel tells John in Revelation 19, blessed are those who are invited to the marriage supper of the Lamb. That marriage supper being the eternal kingdom that God has prepared for us with its everlasting joy for all who are present there. 
And you know what, the, what is special then also this morning, that as we are worshiping God here in this place this morning, is that here we are already receiving a foretaste of that feast to which God invites us in the celebration, in the feast of the Lord's Supper. That's also a very special banquet to which we have been invited this morning to celebrate there our union with Christ, our bridegroom, and also to remember in a symbolical way what he has done for us when he purchased us to be his own, salvation and life and fellowship with him as we eat and drink together of the Lord's Supper. But now that brings us to our second uh, point this morning, which is that this invitation by the king to the wedding feast of his son manifested a tremendous grace, a remarkable love of God. <clears throat> and to see that, we should know what happened when the king issued his invitation in the parable. What happened? That gets us to the central portion, really, of the parable because most of it is devoted here to, to what occurred after the invitation had been issued. And to begin with, believe it or not, there were many who declined the invitation of the king and refused to attend his feast. Now bear in mind two things. First of all, this was an invitation from a king. This was a royal invitation issued personally by the servants of the king himself, he who was the highest person in the realm. He was the most powerful, glorious personage there was in the land or in the empire. To be invited by him was an extraordinary honor, as it would be if you or I were invited to, to a wedding or a feast of, of a king or of a ruler of a country. Nevertheless, we read in verse 3 about those invited, invited to this royal feast, but they would not and you must realize this was really uh, not just an insult. This was actually an act of defiance and of rebellion. They were telling the king, in effect, here, we don't respect your royal position and your authority. You really are not our king. And then when the wedding day was at hand, the king again, we read, sent out some more servants, again urging those who had already been invited to come. He offered them another opportunity to accept his invitation. As he told them through his servants, as we read in verse 4, See, I have prepared my dinner. My oxen and my fat calves have been slaughtered, and everything is ready. Come to the wedding feast. But even that did not move them. Some simply paid no attention, and they went on with their daily work. They were totally indifferent. Others even seized, we read, the servants of the king mistreated them, and even killed them. Now, whom do you think Jesus was referring to here when he said this, in this invitation? Well, our Savior was referring to many of his own fellow Jews, whom God had graciously made to be, invited to be his special people, even long before Jesus Christ came. Already in the days of the Old Testament, the Jews had received God's word through the prophets and had been invited to receive the blessings of his saving grace. And yet the people of Israel, as you know, rejected him time and again. When God sent his servants, the prophets, them calling his wayward people then to return to him, 
to honor him as king. They didn't listen to them. They mistreated the prophets and even killed them. And now as Jesus was telling this parable of the wedding feast, he, the king's own son, was right there among them. And yet the Jews were ready to kill him. You know, Jesus spoke this parable only about a week before his crucifixion. Many of his own people refused to believe in him and receive him as their savior. They turned down the invitation to join him in the feast of his son. But of course, there's a a message here, people of God, for every age and for all people, including you and I, we here today, because God has also given us that invitation to attend a wedding feast for his son, that is to believe in his son, to celebrate with that son the salvation that he has earned for us by his life and by his death, and to honor him as our Lord. Indeed, like the Jews, we in the church have also heard that invitation time and again. We've heard that gospel message over and over, also here from this pulpit. And indeed, like the Jews, we then have been specially privileged. The king has invited us, even persistently, come to the marriage feast of my son, honor him, who is the bridegroom. And yet there are those who turn down that invitation. They're just not interested. Like those persons in the parable who had no time for the king because they were too busy with other things, We have many people today who are just too busy, too busy with their own lives, too busy with their own work, too busy with their pleasures, too busy with their hobbies. They really have no time, no interest in God's Son. How have you responded to the king's invitation? Could you be, could there be someone here who has turned that invitation down? You don't want to commit your heart and your life to Christ and to honor him as your Savior and your Lord. Why pray not? For what will the king do to those who turn down his invitation? Listen to what Jesus says in the parable in verse 7. The king was angry, and he sent his troops and destroyed those murderers and burned their city. Yet those who refuse to come to Christ will experience God's wrath. He will even send his angels to destroy them and to send them into the outer darkness to the place of everlasting destruction. They will never enter the wedding hall of Christ in heaven, but will be cast away from him in hell. Or may that not be the case for any of us. May we gladly accept the invitation, have accepted the invitation, have come to celebrate our great and glorious Savior and be his bride. But however, even though the king ref- they refused the king's invitation, notice the king did not therefore call off the wedding feast. What did he do? He sent out more servants to extend the invitation to others. And that, that really shows us here the magnitude of the grace of that invitation. First of all, it was that also for those who refused to come. They didn't deserve to be there. Even though they were invited, they didn't deserve that. The Jews were not worthy of salvation, though many thought they were worthy of salvation. 
But listen to verse 8. Then he, the king, said to his servants, The wedding is ready, but those invited were not worthy. However, the grace of the king was also manifested when he extended his invitation to others who had not been originally invited. And who were those other people? Well, the king says in verse 9, Go therefore to the main roads and invite to the wedding feast as many as you find. He has the summons of salvation. The call of the gospel goes out to persons everywhere throughout the world. And what kind of people are they? Verse 10 says, And those servants went out into the roads and gathered all whom they found, both bad and good, so the wedding hall was filled with guests. Luke, in a similar parable, the parable of the Great Supper, it's not the same parable, identical, but it is one very like it. We read that the master told his servants, Go out quickly to the streets and lanes of the city and bring the poor and the crippled, the blind and the lame. These were not the privileged. These were not among the powerful or the famous. These persons that the king invited were the ordinary street people. These were the weak. These were the despised. Some were good, said Jesus here. He's talking from an external perspective, that is. They they were decent people. They were law-abiding citizens. Others were evil. They were criminals. They were evildoers. But all of them shared this in common. They were all undeserving, lost sinners. And as Jesus was telling this parable to the Jews who had gathered around him, not just to his own disciples, but to those who did not believe in him, even hated him, like the Pharisees and the Sadducees and the scribes and so on. You, know, you can just kind of imagine in, in your mind the feeling of anger that was rising up within them because it was pretty obvious that Jesus was referring to, to the sinners, the tax collectors, and so on, and even the Gentiles that he invited to his kingdom. Those for them were the outcasts, but Jesus called them to the feast. And he was clearly implying, since you leaders, since you privileged ones of the Jews have rejected me and my father, the king, the invitation to the wedding feast goes out to everybody else, non-Jews as well as Jews. Everybody, all are invited to the banquet even though all are sinners, all are undeserving. But my invitation, says Jesus, goes out to them wherever they can be found. And people of God, of course, that was marvelously fulfilled after Pentecost, when the gospel went out to peoples of all languages, all races, all tribes and nations, people of all sorts of ethnic and socioeconomic backgrounds and racial backgrounds, that all occurred after Pentecost. The invitation to God's kingdom, to his wedding feast, has now come to the peoples of the world. It shows the amazing grace of our Father in heaven. We see in this parable, therefore, the wideness of God's mercy in calling sinners like us as well to salvation. When the Jews rejected Christ, the gospel went to the Gentiles. 
And people, if people in one place today, one area of the world, I think of the Western world, for example, if they have no longer use for the gospel, if they reject that gospel, it will go out to Asia and Africa and other places that they too are invited to the feast. But God will have his wedding hall filled. How beautifully it says in verse 10, so the wedding was filled with guests. And are you among them? Who's come to the feast? Have you responded to the king? I, I gladly accept your invitation. I want to be a part of your kingdom celebration in honor of your son, who is my savior and now my king. Jesus, you know, adds a rather uh, critical, I would say, a, a rather puzzling, sobering statement at the end of this parable. You know what it is? It says in, verse, uh, in the last verse, many are called but few are chosen. The invitation goes out to many, many persons. Many are called, but few are chosen. It doesn't mean that the invitation isn't genuine. Indeed, God elects us to salvation, but somebody can never say, I was not invited because God has not chosen me. That's an excuse. Nobody, no sinner knows No sinner knows whether God has chosen him or her until he accepts his invitation. Then he knows, but not before. But that raises a question. The final question this morning is this. How should we come to the wedding feast of God's Son? The answer is right here in the parable, isn't it? We have to come properly attired in the proper wedding clothes, Typically at weddings, people dress up pretty, not just, the, not just the bride and the groom, but everybody dresses pretty smithy at weddings. They want to come there in a special way, uh, to dress the special ways. They come to that special occasion. You notice that the parable of Jesus has a rather peculiar ending here. It focuses on a particular guest who would come in and how he was dressed. After the guests had all been seated in the wedding hall, the king noticed that one, one was there, who who was not wearing a wedding garment. Now that needs a brief explanation. In Jesus' time, the wedding guests, particularly the poor who could not afford uh, to buy special wedding clothes, were issued them. They were issued them as they entered the wedding hall. Why? Because they had to be properly dressed for the wedding celebration. So how come this one man got in here without a proper garment on? He probably, you know, got in there somehow unnoticed. Maybe he came into there through the back door. But in any case, he felt that he did not need a special wedding garment. He could come in his old clothes, so he thought. But the king thought otherwise. He said to the man, you don't belong here. You're not properly dressed. You can't come to my son's feast in your dirty clothes. And you know what he meant by that? That has a symbolic meaning, obviously, in the parable. Jesus meant for us to enter into God's kingdom, to receive his blessing of salvation. We can't just come as we are in our own rags of sin or in our own supposed righteousness, which the Bible says is as filthy rags, in God's sight. We need a proper wedding garment. We must be dressed in the pure, spotless clothes of the righteousness of Christ. It's the one requirement 
wonder comfort coming to the feast of salvation and celebrating with the king and his son eternal fellowship and joy. We need to get rid of our dirty garments of sin through repentance and confession. We need to be cleansed from our sins. And we must have put on by the grace of God the perfectly spotless clothes of Christ's righteousness, meaning we need to be justified by grace on the, on the foundation of the perfect life and righteousness of Jesus Christ himself. We cannot provide our own wedding garments. The King, God our Father, has to provide them for us. We must be justified by God the Father on the foundation of the atoning work of his own Son. Then we can come into the wedding feast and celebrate with God and the Lamb, the wedding of the Son, the wedding celebration to which we too are invited. And on that note, I conclude this morning. You see, the same holds for us also this morning as we're coming now to the Lord's Supper. As we come here to this supper, to this table, people of God, we cannot come as self-righteous sinners, as unbelieving, uncommitted sinners who have no living faith in Christ. To be sure, we do come, we do come, I understand, we do come as sinners, but as justified sinners, as sinners who have believed in the Son and the King, our Savior. We can only come because God has provided us with the spotless clothing of the righteousness of his Son and has cleansed us from sin by the precious blood of the bridegroom himself, our Lord Jesus Christ. And may our confession and our response this morning then be, just as I am, without one plea, but that thy blood was shed for me, and that thou bidst me come to thee. O Lamb of God, I come. Amen. Let's pray. Lord, thank you again for granting to us your word and giving to us this invitation in that word. We're grateful for him who is indeed the great bridegroom, the one who has earned that salvation for us. May we rejoice that we can come to him, come to him to be saved, come to him to celebrate that salvation and all his blessings, and also remember what he's done for us in the Holy Supper. We ask it and pray this in his name. Amen.